0: You're listening to The Running Public.
1: From marathoners to motor runners,
0: we all have the same goal get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Welcome to the party, Bracken. I was on the wrong party, Kirk. What what party was that? Uh train Tuesday link. Oh. Casey, you're uh you're on the west coast somewhere, aren't you?
2: Yeah, yeah, Oregon, Salem area.
0: So it's seven AM there right now?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's seven. <laughs>
0: did did you have to get up earlier than normal to make this happen?
2: Nah, not really. I mean I had to get moving earlier than normal, but uh no, I, I'm I'm my kids are usually up at six o'clock and so this, this ain't too bad for me.
1: How many kids do you have? Uh, five kids. Five. What are the age ranges there?
2: Uh, so my oldest is 11, and then go, kind of steps down 11, 10, 9, 5, and 3. And I'm messing around. <laughs> you no, know, we we stay uh, pretty busy. It's pretty crazy at our
0: house pretty much every second of the day. What, when do you get time for yourself? Wait, what? what's that? What, when do you get time for yourself?
2: What are you talking? Oh,
0: about? I get you. You're one step ahead of me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's been many years since you've had that. I bet.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've had to build it into my uh, into my work. You know, I mean, my my training, my exercising is just part of my my business and my working now. You know, I mean, otherwise, it it won't happen. So, uh, yeah. No time for myself. I get a few minutes to clean the house at night before bed. That's that's my myself that's me time cleaning the house, so there you go. <laughs> that's exciting, yeah, right
0: <laughs> Um Casey, what is it? I saw you I see you have um your your company's shirt on right now. is that right? Yeah, yeah, rise up with Casey. Is that what you're doing full time or or do you have another job as well? Well, so before this whole coronavirus hit,
2: yeah, I was I was speaking. Um, I was doing a little bit of substitute teaching, but that was kind of just uh, to fill in some of the holes. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was running it full time. Then it hit. And, you know, of course, everything changed. And so uh, and we ended up moving during this time. So everything got spun around, turned on its head. So I actually went uh, to work for my dad because a lot of his employees were Uh, taking advantage of the situation and getting that employment. So um, he he didn't have the employees he needed. So I I started working for him and uh, he he runs a tire shop. So I'm, I'm busting tires and doing oil changes uh, all day.
0: You went from motivational speaking to tire shop and oil changes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's about as 180 of a career change on a dime as I've seen.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's not really a career change. I'm still speaking. I'm just uh, figuring out how to do it in this new climate. And uh, I mean, it's you know, I'm I'm helping him out, and I I still do my business a few hours a day, still train, and then I go and and help him for the you know six six hours or whatever.
1: Are you able to find uh, video conferencing gigs, or is or is it kind of on hold for now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've had a few. It's, it's definitely not what it was before, but but I'm finding a couple and and I'm starting to link in with some of the other speakers that are saying, hey, you know, they're out there. You just got to find them, which that's my problem. I don't know how to find them right now because all of all of what I did was word of mouth. It was conference. You know, I'm obviously here. You can't see you know, oh, guy without legs, you just see a regular dude. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm figuring it out and, you know, learning, learning how to change my whole entire, uh, uh, approach to it.
1: Luckily, resiliency doesn't seem to be something that you, uh, are in short supply on.
2: No, I'm, I, I take, uh, these challenges as just that, you know, I mean, it's a challenge and, you know, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to overcome it. It's, it's not insurmountable. It's, it may be hard, but, it's not insurmountable. Well, take us back.
1: Walk us back in time Start when this resiliency, when this not being phased, maybe not phased, but not, not being stopped in your tracks by these so-called insurmountable tasks. Take take us back to when this all began for you.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I'd like to say it started uh, when I lost my legs, but uh it started before then. I mean, my parents uh, raised me right. You know, they taught me how to be tough. And you know, I mean, we grew up. I grew up in Wyoming, and so kind of being that tough uh, cowboy, you know, hardworking kind of guy. You know, that's that's kind of the person my dad uh, taught my well, dad and mom taught me how to be. But really, uh, when I lost my legs, and I lost my legs by I, I got hit by a semi truck. I was. I was running across the road and, you know, right in front of a semi and I got hit. And because of that, I lost both my legs. And but what was really interesting is throughout this process and especially as I was leaving the hospital, the the doctors talked to my parents and they they said you have to not do stuff for him, which which seems crazy that a doctor would say that, but so important because Um, because of that, I had to learn how to do everything, you know, by myself on my own. Um, and they were there to help me if I needed it, but more often than not, I had to figure it out. I had to find a way, you know, to get it done. It didn't matter what it was. If it was playing baseball, I had to figure it out. It was doing my my laundry. I had to figure it out, doing the dishes, whatever it was, I had to figure it out. And so this built up that resiliency. It really did because I um, became pretty stubborn because there were so many people saying they they would either say you can't do it or let me do it for you. And Mm. so I, I almost every day of my life had a choice to make. I could choose what they were saying you know, to not do it or to let them help. Or I could choose to do it myself. And and so I get, became quite stubborn in figuring out ways to do it, whether it was hauling my wheelchair up a flight of stairs, or or putting groceries in my car, or whatever it was, uh, I had a choice on a daily basis to, to rise up and figure it out, or to let people help me. And oh. That's kind of been the
0: the definition of my life. How how old were you when this accident happened? I was six years old. So was it a were you like a classic like you were you were a kid and you were playing and just either the driver wasn't paying attention or you weren't paying attention or a combo of both and it was just a freak accident or how what happened there? So I
2: it was uh, it wasn't in Wyoming. We had gone to Utah for my uncle who's about to leave on a mission trip. So we went down. To see him off. Well, after church was over, we were standing on the edge of the road. And this was this was just a you know divided highway leaving town, probably, you know, I mean, low highway speeds, 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, and we were standing there waiting to cross this highway. And my mom and dad were standing right there next to me. And my my dad said, Okay, there's two cars coming in a truck. Well, I'm a little six-year-old, and after the two cars went by, uh, I I ran across the road, and and I almost made it uh, past the truck, but uh, you know, one foot out of the way, truck grabbed the other one and rolled me through the
0: wheels of the semi. Oh my goodness, do you do you not to dive into that day too? Do you remember much of as a six-year-old? I'm trying to think back if I remember much as a six-year-old. Do you remember that day clearly, or is it? a vague memory well you know it's interesting i remember a lot of things about the the day
2: before i remember eating pancakes with my grandma's homemade syrup at her table that she had for years. I remember the morning. I remember church. I remember, you know, all, all of that. Uh, I even remember coming out of church. I mean, it was December. I remember how cold it was. Um, I remember standing on the road. I remember uh, listening to my parents. I remember a lot of things, but uh, I don't remember running. I don't remember getting hit. My next memory is is on the top of the hospital, which was hours later after being lifelighted to Salt Lake City. I remember the helicopter rotor blades, hearing them and filling the wind on me. So I don't remember the pain. I don't remember running. I don't remember any of that. Wow.
1: Mm. That's not, no. Know- I mean, knowing that you were six, that had to have been such an impossible task for your parents, for those doctors to say, don't do it for him. And, and it's, pro- it's something that the general populace doesn't, think about very often that offering to do things for people who don't need it done is probably as poisonous as telling them they can't.
2: Well, unfortunately that's kind of the the mode of operations here here in our society, you know, especially for those who are, you know, woke, you know, it's all about helping and and doing things for others and giving people you know things and handouts and whatever, and and you know I, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of people, but there comes a time and there comes a line where we we're very detrimental, um, especially uh, with our kids, uh, where the more things we do for them, the more they're reliant you know, on, on parents, on, on, uh, these, these things right here, you know, the, the more they, they don't do for themselves, the more they're not going to be able to do it in the future. And, uh, I had a friend whose mom did his laundry. I mean, and, and given, he knew how to work. He lived out on a farm he was, you know, he was busting it. For as long as he could remember, but she never made him do his own laundry. And he gets to college, calls her up, and says, "Mom, I don't know how to do laundry." So the more we can have people do for themselves, the more successful they will be.
1: Did you appreciate that from the gun, or did it take a while before you finally realized, like this will—that's a crutch that's not helping.
2: Uh, That—that's a really good question. Um. Uh, There were some things I did not appreciate. My mom made me wear my prosthetic legs. Hated, 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 hated my prosthetic legs. And honestly, after I went to college, I never wore them again. Um, But what what I realized years later... Is that it taught me how to do hard things every day. Um, I probably appreciated that I knew how to do my laundry and cook and clean. Heck, I learned how to sew. My mom taught me how to sew, and my dad taught me, you know, how to work with tools. and And so there was all these skills that I was taught throughout my life. Now, now, given um, I I wanted to learn, so that was a big part of it. I wanted to do these things, uh, so that was huge as well. Um, but I definitely realize now how important them making me do these things is to my life.
0: No, I don't want to dwell on that, that day too much. But I, I just have a couple of curiosities. And that is, one, what was the recovery process like for that? How long did that take? And then I have to imagine you were pretty dang close to losing your life if you were a double amputee. Um, what saved you from, you know, you're still here. So obviously, it could be worse. Right. What happened? What happened? Like, how was the recovery and what was going on that you needed to get both both legs amputated so high up?
2: Yeah, well, the the left leg I'm showing you, right? (laughs) The the left leg was was amputated at the scene. It was taken off uh, probably six to eight inches, you know, from the hip. So I have a little bit of a stub left, um, but it's it's pretty high up there. Now, the right side, it was broken in seven places. Um, it was hanged by a strip of flesh. Um, so it, it was pretty bad off, um, but it was still attached. Well, when they got to the hospital, the orthopedic surgeon looked at it and, you know, he said, hey, this this really needs to be amputated. It It's not going to be good if we try to save it. It's going to be pretty bad um so that that, i mean that's how it happens now why did i live well i'm i'm a man of faith so i believe that god had a part of it um if you talk medically the the arteries probably stretched and crimped and and there's a lot of things the body does in traumatic situations like that but but you're right uh i've talked to the the emps the uh the lifelike emps and they say, we don't get many of those to the hospital in time. Um, and in fact, the orthopedic surgeon said in his 40 years of trauma surgery, he had never seen something that bad, meaning they never make it there. So yeah, there, there, was, there was little. I, and in fact, I took a picture with my six-year-old next to a semi-truck once. And every time I see that picture, I'm blown away. Like, there's no way. There's no way that a six-year-old versus a semi-truck going, you know, highway speeds has any chance of surviving. It was just absolutely crazy to me.
1: Mm. That is, that is, it's, it's, it's almost unexplainable. That's clearly that your purpose here wasn't fulfilled.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Now, throughout my uh, high school and college career, I had a few teammates with disabilities. In fact, in college, my freshman year, one of my current freshman teammates Um, was the junior world record holder for the 400 and 800 meter run. He ran in a prosthetic leg. He was born that way and he never knew anything different. And another teammate of mine had suffered an accident and had his arm removed just above the elbow. And not being born that way led to a lot of anger in his life. And he competed out of spite, out of a chip on his shoulder, out of a I am embarrassed that I am not what I once was. And I'm certain everyone is looking at me. And over over the years, by the time I met him, he wasn't that way. But that's what drove him into athletics. Whereas my buddy Andrew from college, who was born with no leg from the knee down, knew nothing different and he competed out of joy. So I'm curious on what your process was. Were you driven to prove people wrong and driven out of spite? Do you have this big chip on your shoulder or were you just joyful that you could finally do something again?
2: Uh, a a little bit of both. Um, I, I don't know that I was driven out of spite, but, um, I was definitely competitive. I mean, I, I was a redhead and in every, you know, uh, part of the word. I loved to compete. I loved, uh, being athletic. I loved being out there and I I loved winning. I mean, I was a wrestler in high school. I mean, there's a lot of competitive competition nature uh, going into wrestling. Um but I, I more more than that it was for the love of uh, I loved being out there. Um I loved uh overcoming honestly. I mean that that was part of it. I loved showing that a guy without legs uh could could do it just as well as anybody else. Um so I I was out there for a lot of reasons, but mainly I, I loved I loved uh being active. I loved competing. It was it was a lot of fun.
1: So if you got hit at six when were you able to start being active?
2: <laughs> the day I got out of the hospital, uh, really? we, went did, we went and did a half mile race around the Capitol building. Now, given, you know, I wasn't.
1: Uh, <laughs> you got out of the hospital and ran a race.
2: Yeah, I, I did. I look back, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. But that's Now, now given, I, I was in the hospital, I went home to recover, and then I went back to the hospital for some, uh, for some therapy. But yeah, as soon as I got out of the hospital for the last time, I went and did that race within months uh, of the accident. I was playing little league baseball. Uh, so <laughs> that, now that first year, I was in my wheelchair. My dad, my dad had to push me around the bases, which which was frightening in and of itself. So I don't know, that was scary. Um, But the next season I was on the ground doing it all by myself. So it it didn't take me any time. And, and honestly, uh, I hear stories so often there, there are those two types. There's people that live in the situation, you know, my life is over. This is awful. You know, this is the worst thing that could have happened. You know, I'd rather, well, oh, I heard about this movie. I still haven't seen it, but a guy ends up in a chair and he basically wants to kill himself. And 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 there are those, there are those situations where where it ruins their life. But then there's the flip side. In fact, one of my teammates uh, doing the, the Spartan races, he uh, he was skiing. Uh, and he lost his leg. He, he hit rebar and it tore his leg off basically. And he was, he, uh, flipped the switch pretty much right there in the hospital and, and went back to, to competing and skiing and everything. Uh, so, so it, it's not it's not really. It really isn't about what happens to you. that um, You know, people say attitude. It's not about, it's not about, you know, what happens to you. It's about how you react to it. And it, it's really not. It's, it's kind of your choice. You can choose to live in that moment um, for the rest of your life if you want to, um, or you can move forward and
0: keep living your life. When you, when you got out of the hospital for the final time, Um, was it your parents that encouraged you to keep doing your sports or were you internally already chomping at the bit to you like had something innate in you that wanted to just push forward already? Oh yeah. I,
2: I, I, yeah, I did not want to be, I mean, I'd already been sitting around for, for a month or two, um, recovering. I mean, I was so sick of it. You know, I. I mean, I, given I, I got to play a lot of Duck Hunt, you know, and a lot of Mario. But yeah. you know, I, I mean, that wasn't me. I didn't want to be sitting around playing video games the rest of my life. You know, I, I wanted to be out there. I wanted, I wanted to be doing stuff that that everybody else wanted to do. Um, I had an older brother, uh, and we were always competitive, and so I wanted to be out there with him playing his sports. Uh, so yeah, it didn't, it didn't take me long before I wanted to be there doing everything.
0: We, uh, we must be close to the same age when you bring up Mario and duck hunt. How old are you, Casey? Uh, 33. Okay. I'm 37. So may I got you by a couple years. Uh, I was going to go back to, you know, being a young amputee then I feel like a lot of kids would walk around with maybe embarrassment, the eyes on them, the, you know, the attention, maybe not in a good way, so to speak. I don't hear any of that come through in your storytelling. I hear like you owned it from the start. Is is that accurate, or was there quite like an acclimation phase for you where there was some resistance to your situation?
2: Well, seeing uh, up to this point, we've kind of been talking about sports, and that, that's mm-hmm. where that's where I gravitated to because I could be myself. Um, I, I definitely had a lot of trials and a lot of that in in school. Um, in school, you know, that's that's where kids get judged. Um, I, I was awkward. I mean, I was very social socially awkward uh, for for many many years, and and I really had a rough time. Um, and that's why I gravitated towards sports because I didn't have to worry about the social uh, situations. I, I could just compete. I could just uh, do do what I wanted to do and uh, be active. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of lot of that unsurety and trying to find out who I was. And, and yeah, until, until I hit middle school, honestly, I, I really had a rough time. Uh, I don't know what happened in middle school, but I started to, to finally figure out who I was.
0: Hmm. Brecken, I don't know about you, but uh, I would say, let's say you go, we're going to get to your athletic journey here too, and all that, but going to a Spartan race venue that you've been at, you know, I'm sure you don't know any of the races I've been at that we've been there together, but everybody knows the race they're at where you're at because every single person at that venue talks about you and not in the most inspiring way, just how your being and what you are accomplishing is like the most noteworthy thing at most every single Spartan race. Uh, And, and Bracken and I were thinking about who we wanted to, to interview coming up that, that was outside of our, um, you know, we interview a lot of like the pros, like the Ryan Atkins and the Hunter McIntyre and all of them. Um, But they look at it through a different lens than you do. And damn it, every time I've seen you, you do it with a smile on your face. You do it with enthusiasm. And I just think recognizing, I don't know, like there had to be so many things along the way from the beginning of this uncertainty and this judgment to like this guy now who has his motivational speaking business and talking to you now and you have so much confidence in life. I just want to know, like, at what point did you realize that your life purpose was bigger than just getting through life, I guess is what I'm getting at. Do you know what I'm asking there?
2: Yeah, no, I, I do. And and honestly, uh, I, I think uh, through most of my life, I, I've kind of uh, got that feeling. Uh, I, I actually spoke for the first time when I was seven years old, it was, it was a tree lighting ceremony. And I, I I wrote this whole speech, you know, it was like a two minute speech, and I gave it. And on the way home, I said something to my dad to the effect of, uh, you know, I, you know, people seem to be inspired by my story. And he said, you know, Casey, you're going to get a lot of opportunities to do this. And, and at, at that time, I realized and then obviously throughout my life, I realized that, uh, you know, my life wasn't mine anymore. You know, I, my purpose wasn't just about me, you know, it was going to be about, uh, other people and who I could help and who I could inspire. And so, uh, you know, doing these races, I mean, they're, they're hard. I mean, I, I, they're not easy. I don't know a single race where I'm like, well, that was easy. You know, what I mean, they're 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 challenging. They're Spartan races. Um, but I I know that while I'm out there, uh, you know, I'm doing something. You know, I'm showing people that that regardless of their situation and their challenge, that they can overcome them, that they can do uh, whatever they, they have to, and whatever they can to get through these challenging times. So, yeah, I mean, I love being an athlete. I love being competitive. Um, I love being one of the the best para athletes out there. Uh, but more than that, I love to be out there for pretty much everybody that's passing me because everybody passes me.
1: (laughs) It's incredible. And I have to imagine that there were, there was a, because right now you go to a, an endurance event, you go to a Spartan race, a Tough Mudder, whatever it is that you're doing that weekend. And everyone is just like Kirk said, in awe, you are fully embraced there. I have to imagine that knowing the way children are and young, young adults are middle school and high school. Wasn't necessarily that like, just like everyone is in awe of what you're doing and inspiring kids are mean and kids are judgmental. What was it like trying to wrestle in middle school and high school and seeing a new school each week that has never come into contact with you and just the dynamics of all that? What was that like in your formative years?
2: Oh, wrestling. Oh man, I loved wrestling. Well, in middle school, uh, middle school and high school were a little bit different because middle school Uh, I was awful. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't good at all. I mean, it was my first time wrestling um, and I had to learn how to wrestle. And so I was, I wasn't very good. And so I was losing, you know, pretty much every match, Uh, eighth grade year, I won a few, but uh, in my middle school career, you know, I wasn't winning very often. So I, I really don't know how other people saw me as I did that, um, but it was pretty funny in high school because I did get every different type of reaction and I started to be quite successful uh, so I would get the you know I'd get kids that were absolutely terrified you know to wrestle me you know I was wrestling 103 pounds mm-hmm. but you know, my my arms were you know just uh, you know ropey and thick and you know I mean bigger than their bigger than their thighs you know so I'd have kids. <laughs> running away, circling the mat. I've had, you know, all, all different types. Um, so for, yeah, I
1: suppose you look like a 185 fiver from, from the waist up and they, they <laughs> didn't
2: no, no yeah. I, I was wrestling the twigs and I, I definitely wasn't a twig for sure.
0: Was that your focus then wrestling, uh, in your younger years, that was your main love as far uh- as sport goes?
2: Yeah after I started wrestling my 7th grade year and I, and I didn't know about it until then really but after I started wrestling my 7th grade year there was I mean I did a lot of other sports but ooh that that was my love I did the other sports to stay in shape for wrestling
0: and what kind of success did you end up up having sounds like you turned the corner and started winning more than you started losing
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I did my uh, sophomore year, I made it to state. And then uh, by my senior year, I had made it to the to the state finals. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you get to the point where kids would not wrestle you? Where there were some people that just didn't want that uh, to occur? Where they would say either, you know, make an excuse. I I, I don't want to do it or duck you because they don't want to be known as the kid that got pinned by the kid from the other school with no legs.
2: Well, I I, I don't think that second part really happened because, I mean, uh, I was known, obviously, and so it was definitely not a shame to get in by me because (laughs) I was, uh, especially later, by my sophomore, junior, senior years, I mean, I was dominating. Uh, there those three years even though I didn't win state um, I, I was very very controlling and dominating on the mat and so uh, I really didn't have the experience where they didn't want to wrestle me because they didn't want to lose to a guy without legs but uh, i I think there was a couple that that uh, forfeited just because they they were scared
0: <laughs> to, to wrestle a dude without legs
1: yeah.
0: wow. did you have? the potential to then go on collegiately and wrestle? Oh, sure. I, I
2: could have, um, and, and I wanted to. Uh, it just didn't shake out that way. I, I went a different route. I, I decided to do wheelchair racing rather than wrestling. Uh, but yeah, I, I really wanted to wrestle in college. Uh, unfortunately, life just took me a different different route. Do you ever
1: wonder how that would have gone? Do you ever look back at that and with some nostalgia?
2: Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, wrestling was definitely the, well, in my opinion, it is the best sport out there. It's, it's the hardest sport. You know, it, it's awesome. Um, I, I would have been, uh, Anthony Robles before Anthony Robles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn and pretty tough. I, I don't think I would have been, uh, I don't think I would have been happy without a collegiate title, but uh, <laughs> who knows? I mean, that, that was a different life and a long time ago. I I decided to go a different route and was uh, very successful in that that uh, area.
1: So, what led you to that route? How'd you How'd you decide to go into wheelchair racing?
2: Uh, I mean, they they reached out for one. It was one of Arizona. I went to University of Arizona. It was one of the only uh, colleges uh, that that did reach out personally. Um, one of the only wheelchair racing colleges in the nation um, and I knew that I wanted I wanted to be a part of wheelchair racing so that was a part of it uh, man I wanted to go out of state um, I, I don't know er- everything just kind of fell together and and that was kind of uh, what led me to go that that route
1: what was that experience like
2: it, it was it was great I mean I, I had tried to uh, there, in fact, going back to the wrestling thing, I, I had tried to look at uh, two, three different colleges where I could wrestle. Um, but I, I just, man, as soon as I started pushing for Arizona, um, it was amazing. Uh, I I was competing with the best wheelchair racers in the world. I was doing marathons around the country. Um, I did the Boston Marathon. I ended up ninth in the Boston Marathon, uh, which which is pretty incredible. Um, although now, man, looking looking at the uh, powerhouses they have out there now, it's yeah, they're they're insane nowadays. Um, but but I was very cool, very very good, and it it led me to where I am now. Led me to triathlons. Led me to to Spartan races, essentially.
0: So you went all you went all in in, in wheelchair racing, basically after high school. Then it sounds like like you were you dove in head first.
2: Uh, oh yeah, definitely.
0: Was that so? You were like lit, like like every day you were, or you were training as an endurance athlete with that purpose to perform well on race day as any, any endurance athlete would, I'm assuming. Oh
2: yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, not only was I wheelchair racing, but they wrote me into, uh, doing wheelchair basketball, which, uh, as a wrestler, I wasn't all that great at, but, um, uh, I was, I was training two to three times the day.
1: Now, uh one of the university i wound up at i went to three different colleges but my final one where i really took hold and stayed for a while was university of wisconsin whitewater and they're a big powerhouse in wheelchair basketball and they are basically like a a feeder program for team usa they have a lot of team usa guys come out of there and they always we have a giant field house that has like seven basketball courts and our indoor track goes around it so all of my practices coincided with their practices. And I was blown away. I mean, you expect everyone to be skilled when they get to a high level, regardless of sport. I was blown away by the physical contact of wheelchair basketball. It was closer to rugby than it was to standard basketball. Blew my mind.
2: Yeah, uh, wheelchair basketball. In fact, watching regular basketball after wheelchair basketball, it's just weird because wheelchair basketball is so physical. You know, you're crashing into the chairs, you're you're um, you know cutting people off. It's it really is uh, a very physical, a very highly skilled sport. Um, I saw one dude get get clipped on his wheelchair. Basically, takes a a header you know goes face first he plants a hand does flips his wheelchair over himself lands on his wheels and keeps going and (laughs) it's uh it's insane to see the skill of these high level wheelchair basketball guys and and I wasn't I mean I was very athletic but basketball was never my forte um so I could hustle up and down the court and uh you know definitely crash into people but uh watching the high level ball players it's pretty it's pretty amazing
0: yeah i think i'm gonna have to go youtube this when we get off of the interview because that sounds actually like very exciting entertainment it's
1: like roller derby and basketball combined
0: it is a full
1: contact sport
0: that sounds excellent i want to i want to know about how you set up training as a an endurance wheelchair racer now on this podcast um, we talk like a lot of training specifics. We dive into the whats and the whys and the hows of how to become a better athlete. Now, I'm going to assume here that you were doing things like interval work, like hill training, like long, slow distance stuff. Were you approaching this from like, let's say, a a runner would approach this uh, just. On a different modality. How do you how did you approach your training? How did that break down? I'm very curious.
2: Uh well in wheelchair racing, you know, I had a coach and I, I was a young kid, you know, I was uh 17 coming out of high school. Uh so I don't know that I understood um totally, you know, how to train and and I have a lot better idea nowadays. Um but what what I gravitated to was uh, whatever was hard. I loved the hard days. I loved pushing it. Um, you know, when, when my coach would say, okay, we're going to do 17 miles, I, I would push it a little farther and do 18 miles, you know, and, and so when, when uh, we had interval training, when he said, okay, we're going to do, you know, 10 hill repeats, I'd go do 12 hill repeats, um, so my, my goal was, was uh, the pain, you know, the, the pushing it harder and harder and harder, and, and in fact, when I've coached, when I've coached, uh, I try to build that mentality, the competitive, the basically resilience training. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for you know planning it out and doing this much at this rate, you know, and this heart rate. And and you know, I've delved into the the distance running, you know, mentality and training and and keeping it very regimented. Um, but where I find the most gains is when I am pushing this right here. When, when I'm, I'm seeing what I can do mentally, uh, is where I find the gains because once you've, once you crack the mental barrier, uh, the physical barrier can, can go right along with that.
1: You're the second guest in a row who talked about their emphasis on training the mental side Uh, and kind of piggyback off Kirk. I'm curious could you walk me through a standard week of what a collegiate wheelchair racer would look like? Like what, what does your training setup look like?
2: Oh man, you're, you're talking, uh, <laughs> Yeah, take us back. Um, so, uh, I, because, uh, we, we would be early every morning was early, early, early. We rarely did stuff during the day because it was Arizona and it would get up in the hundreds. Heck as at 5am, it would already be a hundred degrees, uh, probably, uh, two or two days out of the week. We were doing long runs, um, usually on Hills. Um, so this was anywhere from 12 to 18 miles uh, run in the mornings. Uh, and then two other mornings, we would, be, uh, we would be doing interval work. We'd be doing repeats, hills, and, and every once in a while, we'd go on the track. We were track athletes, but honestly, we were rarely on the track. Um, we were doing, uh, you know, overspeed uh, workouts. We were doing hill repeats. We were doing interval work. And then usually on Saturday we would do a long run, and when I say long, I mean uh, marathon-style uh, running on on the weekends. Um, and and uh, oh yeah, I, I was uh, pretty much exhausted every single day. Uh, staying awake in class was always <laughs> was always a problem.
1: Was there a strength training component to this as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, we were required to to, uh, have three gym workouts a week. And this was on top of, on top of the, the morning runs, we would have gym workouts. Sometimes we'd have another training session during the day. Uh, I was doing wheelchair basketball. And so I was, I was going to those practices as well, which was pretty much every day. So no different than any other D1 athlete out there. Oh, no, absolutely. maybe more. Uh, maybe I mean I was I was a dual sport athlete in college which is uh it's pretty intense
0: you uh you referred to your training as runs not like I'm gonna go out for a spin or do like <laughs> is run, run is the term that you used at the time uh, that's
2: what I use <laughs>
0: go for okay. yeah, yeah uh. yeah I like it no different than anybody else that's oh. I just love that um so from from wheelchair racing, you transitioned into triathlons at some point, as I'm understanding it, correct? Yeah. So
2: after I left college, uh, well, I, I did college, went, went on a mission for my church for a couple of years, came back, uh, kept training, kept doing it. Um, but at some point, uh, I, I was no longer in the collegiate Competitions. Um, I was kind of on my own, and honestly, and and I was still going to these track meets and and marathons. I was still competing with the other para athletes. But at some point, I realized that it got it got boring. And and uh, I mean, yeah, marathons are fun, um, but there's no challenge to them anymore. And and not to say marathons aren't challenging for most people, but once you've done you know, a dozen, you know, two dozen of them, you know, then it, it, it's just a run, you know, it's just a, a longer run where you pay money and get a medal out of it. And <laughs> I started looking I started looking for something different. I wanted a challenge. I wanted something that was going to be hard and marathons weren't hard for me anymore. and And first, I found triathlons and and they were challenging. Yeah, there was the the swim component, which I've always been a decent swimmer, but then there was the biking. And so you had all these things that were challenging and it was good. Uh, but then it, that kind of got a little bit. You know, it, it wasn't challenge. I could do them. I did the. I did a half Ironman. Um, so the challenge wasn't. It was all about speed, going faster. Uh, and that's when I I was looking around and found and found Spartan races. And uh, and that was that was the challenge. I, I finally found something that would kick my butt pretty much every single time I did it.
0: We, we, we want to dive into that, but I don't, I don't want to leave this triathlon thing quite yet because I have some curiosities. I know Bracken probably does, too. Can you walk me through the intricacies of that? So you would swim uh, like anybody else would swim. I got to imagine that's much more difficult without the buoyancy and kicking of legs, correct? I imagine that's got to be a very taxing task.
2: Uh, it, it is. In fact, uh, to this day, I hate... Uh swimming, uh, not, not like laps and working out. I love working out that way, but I hate just hanging out at the pool because for me, it's, it's, I'm treading water constantly. I can't stand around in the three foot, four foot area. I can't do it. Um, so I'm always treading water. So I don't just like hanging out at the pool. Um, but I've always been a strong swimmer. Um, my 500 meter time was around 10 minutes, which isn't amazing, but it's not bad. It's, it's solid. Um, so swimming, uh, always been a strong swimmer, did really well, did really well at the swimming portion of the, the triathlons.
0: Okay. And then on the bike... I guess I just want to know the modality. So on a bike, are you on a bike as as we would think of a bike? Or are you on a cycle ergometer? How does that work with the bike and the run portion for you? How is that? Like the intricacies of those setups just had to be complicated.
2: Uh, Maybe, in fact, a transition area. You know, I have a a race wheelchair and a hand cycle. So my hand cycle. I'm sitting down, you know, and cranking it like that. Um, that honestly was the hardest portion for me and I, I don't know if it's the same with other para triathletes, um, or maybe it was just my bike wasn't all that good. Uh, but yeah, biking portion took forever for me to finish. Um, and, and whereas I was middle of the pack in swimming, uh, and I was definitely first in the, the running portion, um, I was pretty much dead last in the biking portion.
0: So the biking portion would be like a hand cycle, and then the run portion would be in the wheelchair, correct? Yeah, race oh, okay.
2: race wheelchairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And is there a big circuit? Like, is there a, some pretty big races specifically designed this way for athletes just like you? Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of para-athletes
2: that are out there doing the, these uh, triathlons. There's, uh, yeah, it's become a big thing now. There's some hardcore yeah, para-triathletes.
0: Okay. I'm satisfied there. I just had some curiosities.
1: Kirk and I were just talking this week. Um, I'm coming off knee surgery. And so I've been doing the assault bike with just my arms. And we were talking that once your arms go, they go. And that's (laughs) kind of it. They don't recover very well. It becomes really hard because of just the lack of the size of your muscle groups to put force out once you're exhausted in your upper body. And in most triathlons, it's all about, well, not not most triathlons, in all triathlons for full able-bodied athletes, it is about giving pieces of your body, different muscle groups, breaks. You know, swimming so that it doesn't affect your running muscles or your biking muscles. Biking at a certain angle on your seat so that you can save your quads for the run. And then getting off and you, you don't have that luxury. Every <laughs> single second of your triathlon is spent taxing your arms. And as Kirk and I found out, when your arms go, they go. I, I have to imagine that your training and racing is just on a different level of discomfort than what the standard experience is.
2: Well, uh, that, that's interesting. You know, when you say your arms go, they go. Um, and it's true. And I'm, I'm not saying I have any special arm power. Um, but my training, uh, as I kind of said before, is all about resiliency. Um, I love getting to the point where my arms go. Uh, because, because then I can see how far I can go after that. And yeah, my arms will, yeah, my arms would be dead after a mile swim, but you know, then I'd hop on my bike and then I'd keep going, you know, and luckily on the bike, you can shift into a different gear and coast for a little bit and kind of take it a little easier. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to have to recover while you're competing and that's the same yeah triathlons marathons um spartan races you would have to recover while you're still racing
1: <laughs> yeah yeah standard triathlon bike setup you're down in your aero bars and your elbows support your shoulder and you're just using your bone as a mechanical structure you don't have that luxury your oh. arms have to be moving or you're not moving yep so they get a four to six hour, seven hour break oh,
2: yeah. on,
1: on the upper body. Yep,
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Bizarre. <laughs> so, so then, then you, you transition to, to OCR and now you get even less of a break because everything <laughs> yeah. is nasty. It's off These are the kind of, I describe Spartan race venues to people as, cause they always say like, how do you run down that terrain? And I always say, well, I don't know exactly because it's the type of terrain you would avoid it during a hike, yet yeah, that's how you race it. But we're doing things like we're leaping rock to rock or avoiding. You come in contact with every single inch of the course in a way that no one else does.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you say every single inch, and that's very true. Uh, I, I literally, every route is, is a mini obstacle for me. Every, every tree is an obstacle. I, everything grass grass with that will sometimes come up to my chest that provides extra friction is is a challenge for me. Um, Recently, within the last couple of years, I started uh, using, actually last year, started using an off-road wheelchair, um, which, man, I I go back and forth on whether or not it's better or worse um, because uh, I have to pull it up pretty much every hill. There's no nice easy hills that my chair can just go up, um, and heck, I have to lower it down most hills because it is so steep. Um, so I and and it's not light; it's forty-five pounds, so it's uh, <laughs> it's not uh, easy. I mean, there there is no part of these Spartan courses that that I well, there's a couple parts parts where I'm like, yay, but then then it's right back to the yep. grind. Uh, And then you run into the obstacles. Honestly, the obstacles give me a break (laughs) and obstacles. The obstacles are easier than than the the racing portion of the race for me. So (laughs) if I get a break anywhere, it's climbing a rope.
1: (laughs) I have to imagine that your Spartan race experience is the inverse of Kirk and I. Where we, we look forward to, like, it's, it's exciting when we get some bushwhacking sections or some rock scrambles or some creek crossings, you know, things that are different than what you would find on a road race or a trail race. And that would be the worst part of your race. That would be the impossible obstacle, like Asheville, that, what is it, half mile long creek that you have to run through and it goes up to your chest at times, our chest at times, or uh, Palmerton when you're going down some of those shale trails or, you know, Killington or Asheville where you're bushwhacking through just vines and roots and stumps. That's exhilarating for a runner. That is torture if you have to essentially crawl and scoot through it all.
2: Uh, yeah, but at the same time, I, I love it. I mean, it's it's so crazy to be out there doing it. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't trade a road over that stuff any day. I mean, I, I'd rather do the trails. Trails are fun. As you said, they're exciting. You get to do, you get to do river crossings. You get a, you get to climb hills that are, you know, like that. I mean, it's insane. Um, they're, they're awesome. I love, I love doing stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's not too many, even in the OCR world, there's not too many wheelchair racers, especially that go unaided. I'm um, doing these courses uh, to be able to go out and, you know, destroy something that many able bodied people don't want to attempt. I love it. I love it. I don't care how bad I'm hurting at the end of it uh, to be able. And and uh, you probably I don't know if you guys over in the East Coast have ever done Seattle, but Seattle's up. yeah. A mud mm-hmm. fest. Oh, in in April, it's just a bog, and uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm literally I'm up to my waist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
2: and and but to be able to do something so ridiculously hard, where where even you know hundreds of the Spartan athletes are dropping out, but to be able to keep pushing through, uh, it's it's a uh, it's an amazing. Uh, Thing to be able to accomplish that every single time I race is mud the worst part of yeah. it. Yes, yes, <laughs> mud mud is awful. Um, I don't know. Ha! I hate the heat. I in fact I do worse in uh, in uh, Utah than I do in in Seattle just because the heat. Um, and it's partly being a, a double amputee. I don't have the legs to shed off the heat like you guys do. Um, and so that's a big part of it. But man, I don't know. Heat just really tanks me out. Um, so the extreme heat and extreme mud are the worst. I mean, even even this last year at Tahoe when we were getting snow up on the mountain, I mean that that was just fun. Um, it was cold and my hands froze and they hurt, but it, it was fun compared to yeah, just slogging it through mud or roasting in the
0: heat. When did you do your first Spartan race, and how did you even get the idea, Casey? Uh,
2: it was back in 2014, and my first one was the the Portland Spartan Spartan race. Um, I I don't remember. I I think I was just surfing the internet looking for a challenge. You know, looking for something that would be hard. I I didn't. I was done with marathons. I, in fact, I even tried to do uh, the ultra, the 100 milers. But every race director I contacted said, "No, you cannot do it." And I'm sitting there like, um, "Why?" They're like, "Well, we're not set up for wheelchairs." I'm like, "Okay, that's stupid, but whatever." Um, and and so in my research, I found I found Spartan races. And at the time, I I didn't find anybody that was doing them. I think. Uh, I think Todd Love maybe had done a couple, but he did it with a whole group of people. And I found all, uh, a few of these um, uh, para athletes, but they were doing them with groups, and and that was never my style. I didn't want help. Um, and so honestly, when I did my first Spartan race, uh, I really didn't know if I'd be able to finish it. I I didn't know if I'd be able to accomplish it. I mean, I mean, it was crazy crazy to look at. Uh, and so I showed up that first day. They're at uh, this this uh, BMX uh, motocross, you know, crazy trails kind of course. And I looked at the start line and said, well, I guess I won't be able to use my chair. And so I ditched my chair and and started going. And I, I really didn't know if I'd be able to finish that first race or not.
1: That was Washougal, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, Washougal. Yeah, yeah. I was there that day. Oh, <laughs> really? Back in 2014, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that, that was my first one.
0: You usually don't use your chair, correct? Actually, I, I've never seen you use your chair in a course. So, do you normally? So, most of the time, you don't.
2: Uh, so, up until 2019, I had never used uh, a chair at all. And then uh, in Laughlin, uh, there was uh, the the first para para Spartan race. Uh, there was a bunch of guys using grit chairs. And, and at first I'm like, well, you know, good for them, but you know, I do it on my hands. But then uh, what I didn't realize is I was with a team. I was doing a team Spartan race and it was great, you know, to be able to, you know, be tough and do it all on my own. But that really wasn't part of my team. I was doing it by myself. And so I decided that if I wanted to be successful, for my team, if I wanted to win this thing next, the, the next year, uh, I needed to know how to race in a wheelchair. And so I got a, uh, it's called a grit freedom chair. Um, it's an off-road beast. And I started training in it. And a few different options as well besides that chair. Uh, but I decided, you know what, I got to figure out how to do it. Um, and I'll, honestly, there's some better things, some worse things. Uh, but definitely, when I'm with my team, that's that's definitely the way to
0: go. Wow! And um, so, just for perspective, now how many how many races have you done as of today? Spartan races.
2: Yeah, uh, I I did have a number. It, it's somewhere 25 to 30 races that I've completed. Um, the the longest of which was uh, the Iceland Ultra 24 hour race. I didn't quite uh, earn the ultra badge. Um, I think I got about 18 miles in before my body was like, "You're stupid," and and gave up on me. So
0: you did the ultra in Iceland.
2: I did, and talk about those crazy parts of the course. There was uh, the a hill, and it wasn't a hill; it was a mountain um, that we had to climb. Where literally, you are you are climbing from boulder to boulder through the snow. It was it was the most insane portion of any race I have ever done. Um, but at the same time it was it was it was the funnest part portion of the race for sure. Is there anyone else than Joe that would be like, yeah, come out, do that? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was I, I, I didn't even think of that portion of, of what I do, but when I finished Tahoe for the first time, um Joe Joe was there at the finish line and uh yeah, I crossed the finish line and uh he said or, or i said i said something to the effect of well joe i thought that would be hard why, why don't you challenge me <laughs> <laughs> with you know saying that to joe de senya he's like okay <laughs> and so he uh, he got me to the iceland one um which is is a total 180 from every other of the ultra race directors you know all the the running ultras that say no we're not going to let you do this to Joe, saying, "Heck yeah, let's let's get you out here and see what you can do." So uh, it's pretty amazing in that respect. Have you
1: in your twenty five thirty races have you ever DNF'd?
2: Uh, yeah, two tw- two times. One was Iceland. Um, another time, I had brought another uh, double amputee friend with me. And, uh, he couldn't finish and I decided to stop with him even though I could have finished the race. So, uh, yeah, two, two DNFs, uh, the Iceland one is the one that bugs me.
0: <laughs> but that's not really a DNF. I mean, cause you didn't go for 24 hours. Is that what you're considering a DNF?
2: Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't get the ultra. I, that would have been 30 miles. Um, and I only did 18. So, um, yeah. Ah uh, yeah, that, that one bugs me. I, I really wanted to finish, but I couldn't I knew I could have finished with my friend. Um I knew I could have finished that one. Um, but the Iceland one my body just gave out. And that's that's more frustrating than anything else because it was I couldn't do anything more. You ask anybody that was racing with me. Um there there was nothing else I could have done to go farther that race.
0: I want. I want to know. So, when you approach a race, um, and you look at this, you said you want to do these races unassisted, correct? So you don't have anybody next to you when you get to a certain obstacle or something that seems daunting. You're solo. Is that correct?
2: So, uh, when I race with my team, we we train. So, so I do let my teammates help me um, when when we do the team races. But that's we're training for. You know, the Paris Spartan. You know. that that portion, but when I'm doing them on my own, um, you know, and I've gotten better about it. I used to have a really, really tough sense of pride, like, no, I'm going to do every inch of this by myself. Um, but nowadays, I realize there there is something more important. I, I know I can do them by myself, um, but now I let people haul haul my wheelchair up a hill. I'll let or uh, you know, I I need assistance getting over the you know the seven foot wall. Um, so, so there are portions I'll, I'll let people help me with, uh, there, it's not a lot, but yeah, yeah. You know, I, I love racing with people. I love, I love being able to hang out and inspire and be there for people. So it, it's not a sense of pride for me anymore. I know I can do it. I know I can do it. Yeah. I know I can do it. So it's not, it's not about being tough anymore. It's, it's being out there for different
0: reasons now. How do you how do you approach things like the rig or a sandbag carry or all of of those obstacles that I'm wondering like how the heck would I even do that like what how the heck do you do that how how do you do it I don't get it how do you do it it's got to be amazing
2: so uh, in, any of the rigs they're my favorite uh, you, sometimes I I don't quite get all the way across that dang A painter whatever reason that A painter has got me every time. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, I love the climbing. Uh, I, I shimmy right up the side, even though it's illegal now. <laughs> I don't
0: care. I do it anyway.
2: Um, well, I, I'm not competitive in those races, so it doesn't matter. Right. Thank you well, for me. Yeah, I don't care.
0: Do you get to something, though? Like, let's say it's like a, a sandbag carry and the, the terrain in combination with the weight and all of that. Like, I just walk me through that. Like, what the heck do you do?
2: So the heavy carries, both the heavy carries – are are the hardest obstacles for me. Um, I mean, uh, especially with the bucket, um, I have to. Well, before they put lids on them, I had to pick up the bucket, move it a few inches, and then move my body. And so it, oh. it was. It was. I mean, it, it was just insane looking back on it. Now, now with the lids, I can just roll them.
0: <laughs>
2: a lot better, even though it's still really frustrating. Um, but yeah, the sandbag, putting that 80 pounds on my shoulder and then having to scoot. Now, now scooting by itself is really difficult. I mean, you can imagine doing a kind of a mini push-up. You're lifting your body off the ground and swinging it forward. And so I'm doing that every single step. Well, add, you know, an 80-pound sandbag to, to that challenge. You know, and then you know, and it's that much harder. It, I've I've thought of the biomechanics of people with legs. All, all you guys have to do, not to say it's easy with an eighty-pound sandbag, but your leg swings forward while your bones are supporting your entire weight. I don't have that. I mean, it is my shoulder joints that are supporting. You know, my frame plus a sandbag. Um, so yeah, it's. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to look on it and see actually what I'm doing during that. And, and of course, terrain just makes it, you know, that much harder.
0: I mean, all I know is when I'm suffering on a double sandbag carry next time, I think your face is going to pop into my head and I'm going to get back to work. That's all I know. I mean, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it, Bracken. I don't know about you, but the the intricacies of that in a long course. How long I mean, how long did the Sam D- Sam carry take you in Tahoe? And how long did the whole course take you this last year, Casey?
2: Oh, let's see. I think Tahoe this last year. Now now we did it with our team this last year because uh, we wanted to to you know be the first para team to do a beast and to do Tahoe. So that only took us I think 8 hours. It wasn't that bad. Um but the year before doing Tahoe on my own, it was 12 and a half hours for me to do Tahoe. Uh so, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy and I did every every inch of that race, you know, unassisted. There was a guy that that came with me and just cuz he wanted to. Um but I uh yeah, I did every inch of that course by myself the year before, but Took me 12 and a half hours.
1: Tahoe specifically blows my mind because when our hands get frozen, it only happens occasionally when we have to swim or crawl. And then in between, we can put gloves or mittens on and keep them out of the terrain that's making them frozen. And my hands aren't usable when they're cold so and wet, so I just don't use them until I get to the next obstacle. Like We, we came out of the barbed wire crawl, which was slushy and snowy and frozen and then we had until the sandbag to get it back together what what do you what did you do when you get out of like the swim or something your hands are frozen but now you have to just keep putting your hands back into the snow every step like how do you keep your hands working or do you just give up on that and just keep grinding
2: uh, it depends on the portion of the course. I mean, it, it's not just that they're cold. I mean, because of their constant contact with the snow, um, they start to hurt. If you've ever been that cold where that body part starts to hurt, that's what they're doing. Um, and so it, it very much impedes what I'm doing. And so it's, it's, uh, less about toughing it out and more about making sure they're good. Uh, Iceland. Um, I, I learned how to do it. Uh, it's basically keep a few extra gloves in your back pack. Um, at Tahoe, I, I was coming down the backside of the big hill near the end, and it was, it was just covered in snow. And my hands were so cold, they, they were hurting hardcore. And so I had to, to start throwing hand warmers in my gloves. Um, and my gloves were soaked at this point. They were It was a slushy in my gloves. Mm -hmm. um it was bad but i had to do something um and we had to take it a little bit slower and i had to lean on my team um a little bit because i was i was hurting pretty good at that point you know a game i've
1: kind of always played uh since i think since high school is i would look at a different teammate or a different athlete and think could i do what they do or would i be better if i could just take my mind and put it in their body for one race Like if we had some teammate that was just hyper talented, but kind of flaky, I think I'd love to go in their body for one race and show them what they could be doing. And throughout my entire athletic career, I've I've always, maybe it's a little bit of hubris, but I've always thought, I think I could eke more out of your body than you can. Not with everyone. And there are some people I look at and I just know, you know what? You might be getting more out of your body than I would. You're one of the people, there's not even a question. I don't think I would even attempt it, to be honest. (laughs) It It doesn't, it doesn't compute to me. Uh, the trials you go through on courts are so vastly different
2: uh, yeah yeah I, I don't know I mean I've talked how uh how it's all about training the mentality i mean that you're you're right my mentality my my mental capacity and and it sounds like like bragging but we're we're talking athleticism here um i I've trained my brain I've trained my my brain to be able to go through those those trials um and and I love to I love to train people to overcome theirs as well I've I've worked with a bunch of different wrestlers in coaching and uh distance athletes it's it's amazing to take some of those those resiliency lessons that I've learned and especially kids you know middle school high school start to train them to to realize um, what they can unlock because it's no longer physical. Um, I mean, there's physicality. You know, I mean, you you get Ryan, you know, Atkins, and you get you know John, and you get all these elite guys. You know, they've they've pushed their bodies. You know, they. In fact, I think OCR has the best best athletes in the entire world across any sports. Um, so you have these guys. You know, I mean, uh, then you take that mentality. You know, how far can your mental uh, push you, uh, and and that's what I love to train. I mean, heck, I'm I'm a dad with five kids. I'm I'm running a business. I don't get to train all day long. I don't get to do that. Um, but what I do get to do is I get to train my brain. I get I get to to see how far I can push myself before before there's nothing left.
1: So we're about actionable advice on this podcast. We're, we're not asking people to give away the farm, what people would have to generally pay them for, but what are a few actionable points for resiliency and mental training that the general audience needs to hear?
2: Well, especially, and, and when I when I talk, uh, there, there's some major points that I always address, whether I'm talking to elementary kids or whether I'm talking to a room full of C- CEOs, um, I always talk about these two points because it is the same across any portion of our lives um, and definitely in our training. The first is we need to learn how to fail. Uh, and that is so important. It seems so stupid in sports. No, we're we're training so that we, we're better, so we succeed. But you have to learn how to fail because if you don't know, if you... They're so often in training where you have a horrible run, and and people stop right there, and they stop training. They never want to do it again because they failed. But if we can come back from any sort of failure, whether that be that be a race failure, and you can talk to those high level athletes. Uh, I know in that in the Seattle um, Super where it's cold and rainy, there's some of the best athletes in the world that that drop out of that race. Tahoe, you know, there's some of the best athletes in the world that get hypothermia and drop out of the race. If you can take those failures and move forward, take failure and move forward, that's going to start building that resiliency. That's going to start building that power. And the second thing is you need to be doing hard things every single day do something if it scares you and honestly that's how i got into ocr i watched a video of the spartan race and i'm like (laughs) "That's that's stupid (laughs) i can't that's so stupid why would a legless guy i mean i can't do that that's impossible that's you know i mean i see guys jumping fire how does a legless guy jump fire And it scared me. It scared me so bad and and so I knew I had to sign up for it. I knew I had to try for it and and that's why those are the two biggest actionable things I can tell people is if it scares you, you need to be doing it. And you need to learn regard and, and they, these go hand in hand because you're gonna fail, you're just going to that's that's what happened. You're gonna fail. And then you learn how to get back up and try it again, get back on the horse, uh, run back in front of the semi-truck. No, no, don't, no, <laughs> I haven't tried that one again. Um, uh, you have to learn from that failure. You have to learn to pick yourself up and keep moving forward. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I could talk training all day long, but, but honestly, every training session boils down to, are you pushing yourself? Are you doing something that's hard and are you learning from your mistakes and rising up?
0: Yeah, you don't, you don't learn nearly as much from your successes as you do from your failures. Isn't that right? So true.
2: My senior year in wrestling, uh, I didn't lose. Uh, I didn't lose a single match until the state finals and the kid that beat me, I had already beat him four times. So uh, I mean, I, I, did everything I possibly could to beat him in the state championships, but at that point, uh, he had failed more than I had and he had learned from it.
0: So that's yeah. a, a crazy, but very pertinent example. I, uh, I want to know, it's a guy who's, man, your attitude is so dang great, Casey. And, and you talk about failing, learning from that and having to fail. And then also, um, doing hard things how does that manifest in your current life right now? Because you seem to constantly be learning from failure and constantly doing hard things. How are you finding more of these hard things to do and how do you like how does that manifest right now for you
2: <laughs> um well well if you remember i have five kids <laughs> that's, that's like daily failure um trying trying to <laughs> kids all all of these things that we've been talking about um but more than that i mean with with the the whole uh pandemic situation my speaking business just got turned on its head um i mean i'm I, all my gigs were cancelled um now i have to figure out how to do that uh, recently I wrote a book and I'm not a writer. I hate writing. Um, but I, I ended up writing a book because I failed every single day. Every single day that I wrote was awful and I hated it. Um, but I kept moving forward. I kept pushing forward. Um, and, and I turned out an amazing book. It just surprises me every time I read it. Uh, I, I find things constantly that I can fail at, uh, this last Christmas I had my wife get me a violin, um, to, to do play violin and I'm not musically talented. Um, but I wanted to, you know, pick up a new skill. I wanted to, I wanted to fail. And so the more I find these challenges and, and I have, oh, I have a hundred, uh, you know, physical challenges. I want to climb uh, Pikes Peak in Colorado. Um, I want to complete an ultra. That's still on my goal. I want to do a full Ironman. I have all these things that that I've failed at that I still want to do. Um, So every single day, you know, I'm moving forward in some way to accomplish these honestly ridiculous goals that I've set before myself.
0: Yeah, you don't seem like a guy that's very good at sitting still, Casey. I'm going to be honest with you. That's impressive all the the cookie jars your hands are in. I admire that a lot. What do you have anything right now that is on your radar? You talked about some pretty big athletic feats. Anything that scares you still out there? Um
2: honestly, uh being being honest here, this whole well, in my family situation has gone through a few things. So since November, after that Paris-Spartan race, um, I had to kind of change gears and take care of my family. Um, and Corona hit, and so honestly, I've gained probably 20 pounds. That that scares me worse than just about anything else. Is is that that lifestyle change? It was it was horrible. It was really hard on me. And now I'm facing the same fight that well, honestly, I faced it. I faced it probably about twenty years ago, um, and and now I have to face it again. Uh, you know, thousands, millions of people all over the world face this same thing, and it scares the heck out of me um, to to have to do it. Uh, and it seems so petty, but yeah, weight weight gain is is such a scary thing for so many people, and and re- now I'm staring it in the face.
1: That's that. I feel like everything you talk about wakes me up to something that I'd never thought about before. Because if I were recommending someone to do certain things for a weight loss, they'd be spending a lot of time on feet, you know? So what's what's your path to success? I mean, even on something as, as, like, as mundane as that?
2: Uh, yeah, honestly, for me, weight loss is insanely hard because uh, when, when, when I'm able to go really, really hardcore on my weight loss, I only can eat maybe a thousand calories a day. Um, and, and, uh, my activity level has to be way up there because like right now I'm sitting, which, you know, is fine, but that's my standing. I can't actually stand your largest muscles in your body are your quads and it's, it's muscles that burn calories. And so all you guys have to do to burn more calories is stand up. Yeah. You know, -hmm. burn more calories. I have to be actively going, actively running on a hand cycle, doing something. I can't just be on my feet. I can't burn more calories when I'm at the computer. Um, So uh, for me, it is it is eating way healthy, eating way less, even with the healthy. I have to eat way less and and practicing. A lot of movement. Um, all, all three of those, I've been working in my dad's tire shop, which is throwing tires, doing oil changes, very high activity, but I haven't lost the weight because I I just backfill with with more food. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a huge challenge for me. Is It's enormous. Yeah. And it's got to be
1: a magnified on course because essentially you're doing a mini shoulder shrug or a dip every step of the way, where if Kirk or I gain 20 pounds, well, it's We can walk. It'll we'll feel it running, but yeah, we could power hike the whole course where you're just it's like you're throwing a weight vest on and doing dips.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then climb. Yeah, it's all it's the exact same thing. The the lighter I can be, the the more successful I am on the course. Yeah, hands down. (laughs) (laughs) Literally
0: full of puns. Do you have Do you have those moments where you just want to? You're still pissed at the world, or pissed at your situation, or pissed at you don't even know what because just something's just annoyingly hard and it shouldn't be. Or do you? Are you so far past that that those moments never hit you?
2: Oh, Dirk, I I hit those moments all the time. Um, I mean, it, it is frustrating. Being uh, such an athlete, I consider myself an elite athlete and then needing to reorganize those priorities and, uh, you know, and not be as insanely competitive and training 24 hours a day like I like I want to be. And so, yeah, I, I get depressed. Um, I have hard days. I, I feel I don't know that I, I ever uh, um feel bad for myself, you know, uh, woe is me, but I definitely get frustrated with with where my life is at. I get frustrated with where I want my life to be and it's not there yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I put on this good uh, motivational, mm-hmm. you know, nothing's impossible front, but no, I I have my challenges uh, every single day. I mean, it's, it's very real. Um, and obviously, we don't like to talk about those things, but yeah, I I have to face some uh, just like anybody else.
0: So how do you? Because I figure it's not always just butterflies and rainbows, you know. Um, it it can't be. No matter what your life situation is, it never is, right? So how do you how do you talk yourself out of that? How do you pick yourself back up and throw a proverbial middle finger to the world and say, "Nope, I'm owning this again." Like, what do you do? You have a process there, or do you just know to just keep plugging along? How does
2: that look to you? Well, a lot of it is what you said. Just keep plugging along. Uh, one of my Spartan races, uh, my first beast, in fact, I hit this point in the race where I was completely alone, um, where I was scooting and dust, you know, just clouds of dust were going all around me, just choking me my arms were gone this was after the sandbag the bucket carry um i was dead i was dead tired i didn't have enough water i didn't have enough electrolytes i mean i was gonzo it was it was bad and uh the the only thing that i kept thinking in my head um, and honestly, I got some bad thoughts. I started hating myself and other people. I don't even know why I was hating them. I hated them. Even that, I hated uh, <laughs> Steve Hammond. It, he just had the course.
0: No, um, hard to hard to hate that guy. But yeah. that's how deep that's how deep you are in the hate cave, huh?
2: Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I love Steve. He's awesome. Um, but I, I
0: was I was
2: hurting really bad, mostly mentally. But I knew the one thing. I knew one thing is that I could I could take one more step. I knew I could take one more step. I didn't know if I could take two steps, but I knew I could take one step. And, and I mean, that's good training and good physicality, but it is the same with any other mental challenges we, we go through. I mean, honestly, I've hit challenges in my life. Uh, heck, I still have challenges in my life. I have zero idea how to get through them. I do not know how to overcome some of these challenges in my life, and uh, nobody, you know, I've talked to knows how to overcome them. Um, and and the only thing I can do is take one more step, you know, keep moving forward. Uh, and and it is impossibly hard sometimes, but I know I can take that one more step, and and so I do, and then I figure out that next step.
1: Can't argue with that. (laughs) Simple but tough, huh?
2: Yeah, it is. And there's the the kiss approach. If you've ever heard of that, it's keep it simple. And uh, people ask me all the time for these, you know, profoundly or you know, extravagant things that I do. Like you know what? I keep moving forward. I keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, I want to know. You know, we like to talk training here, and I just want to know a little bit about what training. And uh looks like for you when you're gearing up for spartan races what do you if you want to give us a snapshot of what like a weekly training setup for you looks like what what is it
2: yeah absolutely so uh the, the i i focus on my my weaknesses um and i really hit my weaknesses really hard so that means a lot of trail running i i find trails wherever i can Um, whether it's on my hands or on my race wheelchair or my off-road wheelchair, and I just hit as many miles as I can because, because it's so hard and I need to be able to, to know how to do the hills. I need to know how to to cross gravel, which doesn't sound hard, but when you're doing it with your hands or a wheelchair, gravel, gravel is awful. So uh, just hitting trails uh for me is a big thing putting some major miles in or even just doing hill repeats on a trail is is highly important um cuz I mean it does all the things like the the cardio and the strength but more than that I'm I'm training my my mental state to be able to to overcome those those hills um, I, and honestly, the, the other things I do are for fun, um, climbing rope climbing. I do that cause I enjoy it. Um, uh, spear throws even, I, I'm bad at spear throw. Um, and so I, I, when I'm gearing up for a Spartan race, I throw maybe a hundred spears at a time. You know, I, I, I hit that really hard. You know, I focus on my weaknesses and then, uh, my strengths, I just have fun with them.
0: You're training I mean you're you're training as you should. I mean, you're hitting the aspects of the race and then you're preparing to do so. In training. Are you doing any strength, like structured strength training or anything like that? How does that look for Um, you right now?
2: When I was racing marathons, I was, uh, but honestly, there's very few strength things on the course that I can't overcome. You know, we're talking rope climbs, um, heavy carries. I mean, none of them I'm finding my strength isn't sufficient enough. Um, but it's the, uh, muscular endurance that that I struggle with because as we've talked about so uh a lot of it, it's funny I I went from um endurance racing and I'm looking at a lot of that when I was doing marathons triathlons but now I'm right back to kind of that structured you know your hard day medium day resting day hard day you know uh kind of kind of uh setup again
1: now I'm a gear guy Everyone who knows me knows I'm big about shoes. And in every sport, the most important gear you have is your ground contact, your points of contact. So, shoes for every sport, saddle, handlebars for a bike, anything that you're coming in contact with. But there are entire industries that are created just around that. But there is not this massive corporate machine behind your ground contact points. And There aren't great shoes and and things designed to do what you're trying to do. Scooting and shuffling along. I just can't even imagine the level of rubbing and chafing and blistering that you have the ability to go through compared to what every other athlete on course goes through. So how important is your gear game to what you do?
2: Uh, It's insanely important. The first Spartan race I did, I, I didn't wear gloves. And I used a pair of athletic shorts for, for racing <laughs> and holy cow, that was not the right choice. <laughs> and Washougal
1: is Rocky and Rudy. Oh it, yeah.
2: It was, it was, yeah. Oh yeah. It was bad. It was bad. And I, it wasn't good at all. I don't know how to say it. Um, that is a constant source of, of reworking for me. Um, when I'm doing without the chair, it's all about the gloves um, and I have, I usually just get a pair of mechanic gloves that they do fairly well. But then they're blown in a, in one race. They're gone. They're toast. Um, so you know, I mean, for me, gear is is always expensive. It's always you know going through through it, trying to make it last longer. Um wheelchairs, off-road wheelchairs. I mean the the chair, the grit chair is a great chair. Um, but yeah, there's they they're not made for Spartan race, they're made for for you know, regular people going off-road. So um I'm constantly working to to lighten my chair, to to better tires, to this, to that. I mean, it, there's nobody out there. Well, there's there's a couple people, but I'm I'm one of the I am probably the the highest rated wheelchair Spartan racer out there. And, and so there's nobody that, that knows it better than I do. And that's the problem because I don't know it. And it is trial and error, trial and error.
1: What do you do for your legs and for your butt to avoid the, the road rash and the chafing?
2: Yeah, so I've had to create a, a boot um, that, that, I, that I put together. Um, I started out with just a... Uh, a leather Levi kind of setup, and uh, that wasn't great. So I, I uh, found uh, I started going waterproof. Um, so I, I found vinyl, um, and then I found this marine grade vinyl does really great. Um, and and first I was sewing it together, but now I glue it together. Um, so I, I am literally. Um, gluing together my shoes <laughs> I'm making my own shoes for almost every single race. Um, sometimes I can reuse them. but even then, you know it's a belt versus suspenders versus you know uh, other elastic, you know, trying to find ways to to keep it up to and then when they it gets filled with water, then that's a problem. Anyway, so yeah, like constant. Uh, figuring, constantly figuring out how to deal with gear is, is one of the biggest parts of racing for me. That's,
1: that's bizarre. And I mean, essentially you're a market of one. Yeah. (laughs) There are very few people, A, with your disability and B at your level of performance and C in this type of sport that's, there's not going to be this corporate push to find gear that fits you. So you're basically, you're going to have to DIY everything, huh?
2: Yeah, I mean, in fact, uh, one one company and and they they tried to help me. They they tried to modify their glove to fit me, but I am so hard on things that their their gloves didn't even last a workout with me. Um, so I mean, it was greater of them to try, but uh, I yeah I I have to figure out my my own stuff.
1: <laughs> good thing your parents taught you to sell
2: yeah exactly I, I'm very grateful that my mom um, taught me to sew she she's awesome and and uh, I've sewed you know shorts I've sewed uh, boots uh, I've even sewed uh, my mom's right there <laughs> I came to her
0: um,
2: uh, so I yeah so I've I've had to sew just about everything to to figure
0: out how to race better do you have, so do you have like just stacks of gloves laying around the house and it's like, you can must go through this stuff like crazy fast just for your training and everything. I can't like, how many pairs of gloves you got laying around the house right now? Oh,
2: I, I have no clue. Um, 30, maybe I, I don't know there's there. Uh, Cause I try to, I mean, I, I athletic tape the fingers where they're coming apart. I mean, I do everything I can. Um, Man, so yeah, if you have a contact with a <laughs> mechanic glove place.
0: You still don't have as many gloves, pairs of gloves as Bracken has pairs of shoes. He's obsessed. <laughs> it might be close. <laughs> I may have found my kindred spirit finally. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about your motivational speaking. And is your company called Rise Up? Is that is that what it is? Yeah. You start, talk to us a little bit more about uh, who could you know use you. So to speak and and how that setup looks how long you've been doing that for
2: yeah absolutely so i have been doing this business for let's see i think five years now given i've been speaking ever since i was um heavily since i was a teenager but since i was a little kid so uh, i've been speaking a long time i've always been a teacher that's what i went to school for uh so i've been doing it for quite a while learning learning the ropes of the speaking business uh it, it's been pretty interesting uh, as far as speaking i i so many people are like what's your niche and i'm like i don't know <laughs> i i i love speaking to to the 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 youth elementary middle high because these kids they they really need these lessons of of failure of of uh, overcoming but then i i switch gears and i go and speak to to corporate events um and and managers will come up to me afterwards and like uh you know i'm i'm going to have to re reorganize how i do everything because uh you know of what i said uh so here's what it boils down to if if you have a group that needs to Change their mentality. If you have a group who needs to to change uh, how they do things on a daily basis, that's that's what I talk of. Uh, there, I, I I don't know business. I couldn't talk about four hundred one k's or or better business practices or or uh, how to do your taxes. Um, but what I can talk about is how to change your life. And uh, so if that group, uh, if your group needs to change how you do your life, that's that's what I speak to.
0: I would say changing your life is a little more important than doing your taxes. (laughs) Uh, Just my opinion there. And um, just because we're on what you're doing professionally right now. uh, What's the name of your book and what is that all about? So
2: I, I, tried to keep it simple. Uh, the book is called rise up. <laughs> oh. I know, I know. I'm really complicated here. <laughs> um, rise up with Casey. That's my Instagram handle, my Facebook name of my book. That's my website. Rise up with Casey. That's even my email rise up with Casey at gmail.com. Um, I, I tried to keep it pretty, pretty simple. Um, I even thought of uh, starting to do some motivational talks on uh, what the the singing the the TikTok. So who
0: who knows what will happen? (laughs) So what's in your what is who who would benefit from reading your book? The same people that would benefit from uh, having you come speak.
2: Yeah, absolutely. um, It's on Audible too. Some I know a lot of people don't like to sit down and read a book anymore. Um, but it, yeah, it's on audible too. I actually, uh, uh, was able to narrate my own book, which was awesome. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I hope people check it out. Cool. Well, this is,
1: this has got to be one of those things that people listen to and realize, all right, I don't have an excuse anymore. If they wanted to not just continue on with themselves, but support at races or support the company, what, what are some outlets for them to do so?
2: uh supporting my company
1: your company uh, or this the whole movement of um adaptive <laughs> races all of this
2: oh know yeah, you can have me come speak uh you, you know <laughs> especially in this day and age uh where you know being being woke you know understanding you know non-discriminatory uh honestly my movement is a little bit different than the para movement I mean it's coincides uh my my movement is is to combat the The trend that society is going, and that trend is 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 this right here? <laughs> there
0: you
2: go.
0: Uh, the, the trend- he's, ho- he's holding up his
2: phone. Oh yeah, I guess we're not videoing this. Uh, my the phones, the screens, the the uh, the uh, ability to sit there and do nothing, um, and and to be afraid because so often on social media. Uh, it it prompts us to be scared to not try stuff. You know, we're not as, we're not as talented as these people. We're not as cool as these people. We can't do that. And, and my movement is, is all about breaking through that fear is all about being your best self. So if you really want to support it, what I need you to do is to go out there and and overcome that biggest thing that that is is in your way and if you want to join with me collab to help other people um i i'm more than happy to do that because there's so many people that don't even realize they need this message there's people that are ignoring the message and there's people that have no clue that they need this message so get out there and overcome it and and help me to inspire the world
0: okay at every race i've seen you at casey including the world championship you are like a celebrity (laughs) you are getting as much attention as anybody else in this sport at least i feel like you are um do you ever get sick of that and do you feel like a celebrity at these races and are you sick of the eyes always on you and all that or does that is that part of the allure like Uh like motivating in that way
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely I don't seek it out. I, I really don't care. I can be as happy reading the book as I can, you know, at the Spartan races. I, I don't care for the attention. Um, but I, I thought about this a couple of years ago when I was doing Tahoe. And so many people as they're coming up saying, Oh, hey, it's Casey. And, and I have no clue who they are. Um, and I said to the guy next to me, I'm like, dude, I think I'm more recognizable than than the elite Spartan athletes, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. more people recognize me than they do, you know, these, these high level athletes. And, and that realization was, was really funny to me. It, it was really funny, but also a big responsibility. Um, you know, I, I'm not out there for myself and I've talked with uh, with my para athletes as well. We're not out there to say, Hey, look at us. We're amazing. Um, but we are out there to make sure that everybody else that that does see us realizes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we can do this. This is, I I can do a lot more. And so, yeah, I mean, I am a celebrity in that respect where people recognize me. uh, But at the same time, it is the best kind of celebrity because these people are not just you know trying to get a picture just because they're getting a picture because I did something in some way to improve their life and and they are doing that thing to move their life forward. So uh, sure, but honestly, it's the best kind of celebrity ce- celebrityism <laughs> I could ask for because people
0: are changing their lives. I just I wanted to ask because two years ago, I'm sure you don't remember this. I had to wait in line to say hello to you after Tahoe. You were sitting there by the awards area. And I just like, I got to go talk to this guy and just say congrats. I didn't even know what I wanted to say. I just wanted to be around you because I thought it was so impressive. And I had to wait for two groups to get done talking to you so I could sneak in to talk to you. And so I just, I realized what an impact you had on people when I realized how many people were just like me wanting to just get around your presence, because what you're doing is so impressive. And I think I just wanted to acknowledge that before we wrap this up. Um, and one other thing I, I want to ask, and I like to ask is just who who's obviously with five kids and, and a busy life, who's supporting you and making this all possible? Obviously, you're not a team of one. So who, who do you want to just say thank you to, I guess?
2: Uh, de- definitely, my wife. Uh, she she's a powerhouse. She's amazing. Um, I mean, I leave her all alone with five kids when I go and when I go and speak, when I go and race. I mean, she she's amazing. She helped me write my book. Um, she she does so much. Uh, she's incredible. She really is. I, I couldn't do it without her. There there's no way that I could be nearly su- as successful as I am without her. Um, she's incredible. Um, also my parents, my, my parents are amazing. Uh, they, they made me who I am today. They, they, uh, my dad would always say stupid things like, uh, can't never did anything. Won't never will. And I always thought it was stupid, but now I realized, oh, that wasn't stupid. It was totally fine. And, uh, so they, they made me who I am. Uh, also my older brother, man, he, uh, man we pushed each other constantly we we were competitive to the nines it it just uh it was pretty pretty uh amazing what he did for my life as well so uh family obviously that's who i'm talking about super important to me um also a shout out to uh joe DeSigna for starting the spartan race you know there that's pretty much the the first and the best obstacle course race so honestly i don't know where my life would be uh without this amazing challenge in it.
1: Grounded in, in 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 your support system as much as you are with, with your with your goals and what you're gonna do. I like it. Thank you so much for coming on and I, I hope people come to your organization. I hope that they book you for gigs. I hope they buy your book. This is a message that it, it can't be big enough.
2: Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed, especially through everything going on. Um, not not to say, you know, I, I don't need the money. You know, I mean, I have a family, but you know, this, the message is, is so important to me. Um, and whatever I can do to spread this message, honestly, around the world is, is what I want to do. Uh, so I, I'm happy for it. Uh, I want to change lives.
0: I think you're,
1: I think you're already doing it and well on your way to being as impactful as any athlete has ever been in this sport.
0: I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Casey. We appreciate your time
1: today.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, guys.